Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the First Year Experience Podcast. My name is Nicholas Balderas. Today, we have a very special episode. Joining us will be Dr. Gregory Selber and Professor Joe Fuentes. I'm going to go ahead and let them introduce themselves, but I also want to announce that we do have our gurus here, Gerson Salinas. And again, um, I'm going to go ahead and let my guests introduce themselves. Um, let's go ahead and start with Dr. Selber. Hi there, everybody. Uh, my name is Greg Selber. I've been at the uh, university for 20 years and I've lived in the Valley since 1989. And I teach communication. I once did the university newspaper for about 15 years and I'm a actually still a practicing journalist. Thank you for joining us, Professor Fuentes. Sure, thank you all. Thank you all again for, for having me. Really excited to be on here. It, it's great to see your, your students doing, you know, going above and beyond. So currently I am a uh, adjunct professor at Lone Star College. I teach political science and I am the founder, CEO of Advantage College and Career Readiness Solutions. Uh, basically very similar to what you all do. I got actually uh, earned my first stripes in the Valley. I was over there for about 12 or 13 years and I serve as dual credit instructor, professor for UTRGB. And glad to be back home doing what I love uh, in Houston. So thank you for having me. You're welcome. Today's conversation is actually going to be on voting. We're going to be talking about how to get yourself out there and be part of this civic duty that we all need to represent. To open up the conversation, a general question, and it's about voter participation and why is it important? You know, anyone can go ahead and start. Voter participation, why is it important? And why do you think that more people are actually joining us this particular election year? Well, you know, you say that voting is a duty and I really truly agree. You know, it's an obligation to go all the way back to the ancient traditions of participation in civic life. But I always like to kind of couch it in other terms as well. To me, voting is a duty, but it's also a pleasure. You know, it's an honor to be able to take part in the discourse and to make your voice heard. And, you know, of course, some people parenthetically say, well, your vote doesn't count. Not necessarily true. Because to me, voting is something that is a, is a pleasure as an eight. My, my daughter just turned 18 and she's going to be voting in the elections for her first voting. And I tried to tell her, look, this is not something you have to do, but it's something you should want to do. Because if you have problems with the way things work, if you don't like the people who are there, then go make your voice felt. And I think that will establish a lifelong habit of participation and engagement because, you know, the government will work on automatic pilot if we don't do something about it. So now's our chance to have the pleasure and the honor of voting. That's what I would say. And it's important to, to like you're saying, build a, a habit because uh, most of us, um, I think it, it, we see the big ones like the presidential elections and that's when we care. But there's elections going on every year. If it becomes a habit, then you don't just every four years you show up and send a tweet and go vote. You know, the, the idea is to have everybody involved in how the institutions work so that the press and the public act as a watchdog on the major institutions. I'm sure that Joe is a political science teacher. You, yeah. know, you know, you know a lot more about that than I do. And, and I can tell you, uh, I, I look at it from a historical perspective because I'm often asked the question, what happened? <laughs> How did we get here? You don't have to look far. It's, it's, it's embedded in, in our history, whether we like it or not, but we have to acknowledge it. And once you acknowledge it, it's like anything else. If there's an issue, there's a problem. We face it. We, we've seen this over and over and over again. You know, this is why we say voting is, as you said, Professor Selber, it's a duty, it's an honor, it's a pleasure, it's all these things. I always want to add that it's a right, you know, and, and this right w wasn't granted to all of us, you know, overnight. Everybody had to work for it, you know, and this is why we say there's been all these movements throughout our history. And as you said, again, it's your 18 year olds voting for the first time. It, it's special, it's an honor. You know, we voted yesterday. I'm in Harris County. <laughs> You're watching the news. I mean, Harris County is. I mean, it's ecstatic, you know, and I, I've never experienced anything like that. Uh, going through a drive-through, it was it was awesome. I mean, you know, mm. uh, we were missing the pizza and the sodas, but other than that, you know, you're, you're in and out in your vehicle. There's so many, you know, 
good things about it. And like anything else, I mean, they're, they're placing all these, you know, these amenities, these opportunities for us. And this is why I keep telling my students, take advantage of it. Did you get a sticker? I did. I should have put it on my forehead. I was going to actually. <laughs> you know, the thing that stands out to me, guys, is that you read the papers uh, the other day, early voting, you know, which ends October 30th, by the way, uh, mm -hmm. the, the numbers. Now, everybody wants to talk about turnout. You know, when the turnout is low, that tends to favor one side or the other. The turnout is not low. And the turnout is not low among people of color, I might add. And so this is going to be an interesting thing. It seems that the problem of 2016 and we will go without naming, has been solved on the, in early voting because the numbers were lower. 2008, mm -hmm. 2012, people voted like crazy. Young people voted. Yep. Minorities or people of color voted. It didn't happen in 2016. I think that we saw the result one way or the other, positive or negative. So those newspaper headlines to me signify that this is, like you say, a unique moment. Every election is a unique moment. I mean, you know, historically, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, uh, suffrage 100 years ago, civil rights, there's all kinds of points on the curve. And this one, is potentially another one of those plastic hours where the stasis tends to break up a little bit and all of a sudden we're in a position where if we do all the right things and things we want to do there could be some ra uh, radical or drastic changes down the road and that's what a lot of people are saying they want so if you do want that let's go and i think that was hovered in that article you had shared with me in the atlantic they discussed on that idea of plastic hours and kind of how a critical moment in our time um could you give us a little bit more information on that idea the plastic hours well i tell my kids that you don't just settle for social media don't just settle for the newspaper or cnn you've got to read the so-called highbrow opinion journal and that's right and left i give them the spectrum man they read mm -hmm. the nation they read the new republic and they read commentary in the National Review. And some people are kind of look askance at having to read a right-wing journal. But my point is, let's know what everybody's saying, and then it becomes a math problem. Then you kind of put it into a mixer and filter it through your own opinions, and you have a more wide-ranging opinion. So George Packer, by the way, if you haven't read any of his stuff, good Lord, I mean, if there's a smarter guy in the world, I don't know who it is. It certainly ain't me. But Packer is saying basically that, you know, change comes in cycles. And he mentioned the progressive era, which we've been learning about in class. You know, the combination of the labor unions and people like Eugene Debs, a socialist, and, you know, uh, the social gospel of some churches. In other words, the groundswell was there because something had to be done about modern industrial technological capitalism, monopoly, the Gilded Age. You guys don't know all that stuff. But it doesn't happen all the time. And the problem is we get into our comfort zone and into our routines, whether we make, make a complaint about something, but we don't really see the dynamism. But, you know, historically speaking, there are certain points in time when the opening presents itself. And if we don't run through it, then we can't be complaining down the road. And that happens a lot. We miss our opportunity because we get like kind of mesmerized and not energized by the stuff that's happening in our daily lives. Certain avenues present themselves, but it's not automatic because institutions are obdurate and they're stubborn and they will be what they will be. And so if you want them to change, if you want to turn that giant wheel, you got to put your shoulder to the wheel. We have a very dynamic political landscape right now. And, you know, we're dealing with a lot of different issues. I mean, I think like every year we seem to have something different that happens, but this particular year has been like hitting us with so many different things. You know, we have the pandemic, Black Lives Matter. And especially now that we're kind of going into this hard shift of the economy because of the pandemic, what do you think is like the main issues, you know, driving voters to the poll. What do you think is that idea? It's kind of like a perfect storm where you have a lot of things coming at you at once. And that is 2020 per se, right? When you look at the, the perspective of the, the COVID crisis, right? Um, it kind of alludes back to why is it important, you know, your, your local elections, state elections? Well, unfortunately, COVID-19 has kind of um, exposed 
uh, our, our system, our federal system, where the federal government has power, but the states have powers as well. And we're seeing this with education. We're seeing this with uh, first responders, frontliners and all that. Um, there really isn't one unit, right? One uniform unit going in in the same direction. That's problematic. Uh, second, um, as you alluded to Black Lives Matter, I think um, you look at the civil rights, you look at the progressive era. I mean, these, these are all events, you know, that, that have shaped, you know, America. And I, I do say shape, but at the same time, you know, I think that it, it's literally kind of peeling back a layer of America that, that's still there, unfortunately. Being from, uh, you know, uh, one of the biggest cities in, in the nation, I know it's a little different in the Valley, but I mean, you, you tend to see it more, you, you kind of understand it more here um, because it is more, you know, more prevalent here. Regarding, you know, the, the presidential election, as, as you, you alluded as well, you have two totally different candidates. But if you look at, I know Dr. Selber said it as well, but back in the 2016 election, you kind of see some of the similarities, but I think you see a, a lot of differences as well uh, in, in the fact that you now have a huge way of coming. The early voter turnout is, I think we're at about north of 30 million. And you, you gotta you got to understand, we're looking at, what was the total voter, voter turnout? A little over 100 million in 2016. I mean, you're almost halfway there. Harris County, where I reside, I mean, we, we, we broke the record, I think, the first day or two, that all that we had in 2016. So you have to ask yourself, I mean, in this, in this day and age, you don't really ask yourself because it's all over the news, social media, podcasts such as this one. Everybody's engaged. Everybody knows what's going on. But I think more importantly, everybody knows what's at stake. Everybody knows what's at stake. And the majority of, of the country wants to go one way, but you're always going to have the minority in anything and everything. And they obviously want to go, go the other way. So I think that if you add them all up, it's a perfect storm for what's about to happen. Absolutely well said. Uh, perfect storm mentality. That motif is totally true. I tend to look at it exactly as you do. And, and, and also, one of the things that keeps occurring to me is that, you know, you have people who are single issue voters, and they're going to vote on that one thing. But mm -hmm. in this election, I think that, you know, the, all the issues that we've named are important, and they're the parts. But the whole, to me, is a vibe, Okay. And I'm speaking personally, I'm not trying to reinvent the world, but the vibe is anxious and the vibe is unhappy. We, we're not happy with the way we're relating to one another. We're not happy with the way we relate to government and vice versa, particularly vice versa. And so I think that groundswell of uh, unhappiness and dissatisfaction is coming to a head in the perfect storm that you talk about. So to me, I, you know, I, I see it in my classes all the time. You know, there's just a vibe or a feel that this is not what we want to be. So we're talking about national identity here, and we're trying, yes. and that's a hard, it's elusive, and it's, it's kind of a dynamic, uh, nebulous thing, like public opinion, right? But at the same time, there's a general feel, and it's not just restricted to the left, I don't think. Believe mm -hmm. me, right now, the Republican Party is going through uh, preparing for what could be a crushing defeat, and you know what Packer would say is that good, because they haven't done the things they said they were going to do, and they haven't acted the way they say they're going to act. And you can say that for any party. I'm not trying to stump for a group. But I guess my point is that the vibe, you know, the, the parts that add up to the whole are race and police and economics and inequality, absolutely hugely important, abortion, you name it. But the general feel is that we need to get back to being what Americans say they are. And that includes, like you said, Dr. Fuentes, living up to our ideals, which we've not always done. And so laying, peeling back the layer, as you say, and revealing the fact that there's still inconsistencies and still things that are bothering a large number of people. And if, if things are bothering people, hey, okay. But if things are bothering people because they feel that because of who they are, they're not getting an opportunity to do what they need, that's a problem. And it's a problem that every person in this United States needs to address it. First by voting, next by volunteering, 
hey, if you take to the streets, I'm not certainly calling for that. But I mean, that's a way of making your uh, dissatisfaction felt. And I'm not trying to, you know, go to the ramparts of the barricades here. But I think the vibe is negative, And I think everybody knows it. And I think it's on both sides. And so let's see if we can't get back to a little bit more comedy, a little bit more collaboration, and a little bit more feeling for other people who are maybe not as fortunate as we are. Yeah, I wanted to just jump in, and and I'm glad you brought that up, Dr. Silver. Just talking about the the vibe, right? And and even talking about your own students, there is the climate that exists, right? The the larger climate, but then within in our classes, I you know work primarily with first year students. They're much quieter. They're much like like I I have a harder time t- getting a pulse on that vibe. And so even this year, they're a little louder. I've seen more interactions in terms of, you know, is it too late to get registered to vote? Where can I go vote? Things like that. I, you know, I wanted to, to know, like, just what's the feeling you're getting from your own classes and your own students? Because I think sometimes at least my student population tends to be a little more subtle, a little quiet. Definitely. You're right on. Yeah, you're right on. And and going back to what, uh, what Dr. Selder said, it's a wave. It's an ex- it's the excitement. It's, it's in the air. Yeah. And look back at 2016. I always ask my students because they were always asking me, you know, how did Hillary lose, you know, and how did, you know, Trump win? It's the candidate, it's the politician, it's a lot of things. I've worked in a few campaigns so, and you saw the excitement, whether it was not good excitement, as Ms. Dr. Silver says, you look at both sides. That's what we do. We're supposed to do as, as professors, you know, and you saw it coming. I mean, and, and that's what I'm saying. You see it now, but I mean, I think Biden is like the luckiest candidate in, in the history of <laughs> presidential elections is literally just if you can walk across the finish line but uh, you look at it now and, and yeah and, and you know our students um you know the first days of class we're going over the syllabus and uh, the structure of the class assignments and whatnot you know and the students are already asking just right away boom they want to know what's going on can i register to vote they want to know all about you know the, the drive-in <laughs> voting and you know i think also joe it has a lot to do with uh what classes you teach uh this semester i'm doing a class on capitalism and communication. People have been waiting for that one, even though it's me. They've been waiting for it for a while. Uh, <laughs> and my graduate class is a political communication. Really looked ahead at the schedule and said, let me just throw this stuff in there because yeah, you're right. You have to. <laughs> you have to. And that's, that's on you, Dr. Silver. That's what a good professor does. I mean, we're looking at, at, at the events going on. And that's one thing, you know, and it kind of goes back to, to what you said regarding the, uh, you know, the excitement, our, our students engaged. I mean, they want to talk about, you know, the elections and voting. I'm like, well, well that, that's chapter three, but definitely <laughs> move it up because, I mean, they want it, you know, and, and it's up to us to just make this an experience. And I always said my goal is to make them understand, have them understand, walk away from, from the class with things they're going to understand and use for the rest of their life. But also, we can't do that unless we connect. We connect what's going on out there, making it interesting and showing them, you know, proving to them that, hey, this is important. It matters and you will be able to use it for the rest of your life. So that's always a good thing for us. And you know, the thing is, uh, like you said, they want to skip to chapter three. In my graduate class, we started with political philosophy, the ancient Greeks, you know, the Arab civilizations and you know, Africa, you know, looking at how people conceptualize how, she, how we shall be governed, what is the role of people in government. But they wanted to jump right into the debates. We watched the vice presidential debate live. And let me tell you, I have to admit, I was falling on the floor when the fly landed. That was was one of the greatest moments in the history of television right there, dude. I couldn't believe it. I was like, you're kidding me. There's a novel there, man. There's a novella right there, man. That was amazing. We almost wanted to play a game like how long is it going to stay there and ended up staying there for a very long time. It was like almost like clocking at what, two minutes, three minutes. Did you see him? Did you see her with Rachel Maddow? 
and she was trying to get her to say, did you ever feel like you want to reach over and just, <laughs> I wanted to touch on the whole idea of that enthusiasm your students are having. And, you know, the whole voter turnout, we're hitting like record highs and like a lot of different states are hitting record highs, especially here in Texas. What can we do to like continue that enthusiasm for our students? Because I think, you know, as this election is happening, you know, we're living it we're living through this pandemic, we're living through all these issues and we're seeing it happen. Um, what could we do for students that will help them continue that and to not just look at the top of the ticket with the presidential elections, but like local elections, because we have, you know, elections for board members, we have local elections. Like how can we get students involved in those particular types of community events? As teachers, you know, in high school or, or, or professors at, at the colleges and universities, I mean, I think we, we have to engage them it's just like another class, you know, where you have to make it interesting. And one of the things that's so exciting about doing, you know, um, or having a, a, a class, you know, in a presidential election is being able to, you know, go fishing with these students and you're going to hook them with the presidential election. But that's when we have them and say, look, that's, this is a very important election, but are your parents affected? Somebody affected by COVID? Do you have somebody affected by, you know, uh, by the racial tensions and so forth? Th those are federal um, in the grand scope, but they're all local. They're all, you know, state issues where those are the elections that, that really affect us every single day. And I tell them, you know, they're, they're, they're called first responders for a reason. You know, if your house burns down or something happens, you know, the federal government is not going to come in. It's going to be the state and local, right? Um, that, those are the first things we always want to tell. Uh, and, and I think honestly, too, you know, you go back to, you know, what, what candidates, you know, what candidates are, are running? Are we getting excited about these candidates? You know, if you look at those two levels, those two aspects of it, I think you can uh, understand. And we, we as a community, you know, whether it's local and state and certainly around the nation, if we can follow those plans, those ideas, like I guarantee you, man, these kids, these students will, will be very, very heavily engaged and, and they will want to skip <laughs> chapter one and two <laughs> and go straight through to the meet, you know, the, the, that's, that's great. <clears throat> great. Good question. We talk a lot about politics and we talk a lot about the news and yet one of the one of the areas that I think is sometimes overlooked that is adding to the groundswell of excitement and of knowledge among young people is culture and so what I mean by that is all you got to do is go scroll down on the documentaries on Netflix listen to some of the music that's being produced right now look at the shows that are being made look at what the films are all about my undergraduate class watched Modern Times the Charlie Chaplin film from way back which was kind of this crypto uh anti-capitalist movie that was made at the time of the depression and it was phenomenal but i guess what i'm trying to say is that you know if you want people to get involved on a long-term basis and play the long game then like you said joe they have to have a stake in it you know rousseau back in the ancient times we talked about this idea of the general will whereas if people feel that they're stakeholders in the government and the way the polity works and they feel their voices are being heard and they see the results of possibly being participatory, then they'll start to obey themselves because they made the general will of public opinion known and it was manifest in the policies of the government in a free society, right? So I think that uh, cultural artifacts can play a huge part in teaching people how to think about issues. Because the thing is, man, we can lecture all day until we're blue in the face and the kids dig it to an extent. But when they go out from the class and they do their own thing and they're still getting a drumbeat of, hey, change needs to happen or change doesn't need to happen. And they, they will become stakeholders and they will. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's going to vote in, in local elections every time. I would have to say that there's a personal responsibility not to be lazy there because we get fired up by the big marquee matchups. It's like everybody want, wants to watch the Patriots play and the Rams, but nobody wants to watch the Cardinals. Right. So if you're a football fan, you got to watch. You got to do that thing. So. 
I think the older people get, and you said it too, uh, when you're starting to pay taxes, man, you're going to pay more attention to local stuff. When you're 20 and living in this fantasy bubble, and I'm not trying to be picky or ugly, I'm just saying that, you know, when you don't have to carry as much of a burden, then you don't want to read about taxes. What taxes? I just want to make my grades and have a good time. This is a generation of more politically motivated people. And for a lot of different reasons, particularly in areas which are heavily Latino. And so when people see what's in it for them, and I don't mean in a greedy way, but in like, a, you know, take a stakeholder's way, yeah. then hopefully they'll start to do more things like vote and volunteer and right. give time and give money, et cetera. And so it builds on itself. And all of a sudden you have a habit that you didn't even know you built. And right. you're part of the conversation instead of just complaining after the fact with a tweet. And, and I'd like to add to that. So stakeholders, that, that's incredible. Ha having ownership. There is no better example of that right now going on than, and I'm going to call it what it is, the voter suppression. Georgia citizens, 11 hours, I think was the record, 11 hours to vote. In Texas, you guys know, Governor, Governor Abbott, right? There's one election ballot box per county. <laughs> you know, being in Harris County, we have four or five million people. You know, it, it's sad. You know, it's bothersome. You know, and it, it just, again, it peels back that layer. Like, you would have thought that we were past that. We're not. But then you see the response. To see the record turnout, I mean, that's not because they just had an epitome like, oh, epitome like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to go vote. Like, people are angry. They want change. They want to be a part of that change. And when you're mad, then you're probably going to do something. You're probably going to act. You know, suppressing, look, any country in the world has dealt with a history of an attempts by the powers that be to limit the powers of the people that don't be. Right? right. And so, you know, in the old days, it was a poll tax or a literacy test or all these other things, you know, physical intimidation. But people, like you said, who think that uh, that kind of quasi suppression and obstruction doesn't take place today, haven't been paying attention. And I couldn't agree with you more. When people see some wrong being done, you got a lot of choices. You can just say, wow, that's too bad. Or man, OK, sucks to be them. Or you can say, you know what, uh-uh, I'm going to find a way. And, and that's uh, sewn in, in the fabrics of United States of America. You know, there, right. There's always going to be people standing up. There's always going to be that voice. There's always going to be your Lincolns, your Dr. Kings, you know, and, and, and your Cesar Chavez. There's always going to be people that rise up and, and, and lead, lead the way. That's a great point. I want to ask you, uh, if you don't mind, you know, charismatic leadership, I wouldn't say that it's missing or lacking, but I'm waiting for that young, charismatic leadership because I hear a lot of people that are interested and I see a lot of bright ass kids. But will they then become the leaders of tomorrow? Because like I said, it's easy to stay on the sidelines and point fingers, get in the echo chamber and say, we're good. They're crappy. In group, out group. Where are the young people of any group we're talking about? Somebody lead us a little bit. That's what I'm asking for. And let me respect you. I don't have to love you. I don't care about that. But I just have to know that at the end of the day, I feel like you got my back and that you got the back of 330 million people, not in a partisan way, although we all know it works that way. But where are the young people who understand the vibe and are willing to work for as many of us as possible, almost in an old fashioned utilitarian way? My dad used to say 70 percent of something is better than 100 percent of nothing. Yeah. But today, what we have in politics is zero sum, my side against your side, Manichaeanism, and everybody ends up losing because we don't feel together no more. That's right. That's so true. Uh, and, and sad, you know, but that that's what what it's come to. You know, I was looking back at the early 2000s when parties were voting. I mean, it was close. It was 50-40 and now it's 50-0, 50-0. You know, it's just like, wow, this is incredible. But I mean, you know, I think everybody's already kind of kind of caught on as to what the issue really is. I mean, it, it's, as you said, somebody's got to come out from, I mean, at this point, any party, your party, and just rally the troops. You know, we're all on the same team at the end of the day. We should be. I'm a part of a couple of groups and there are a couple of nonprofits. You know, it seems to be a problem when it comes to 
talking about someone's work, I think people become very critical on the work that they put in and it's just not this shared experience now. It's not this thing that we are coming together. It's about what I have done for the community and it's about this individualism. And I think even that article that you sent me touched on that. And it's just like, what have I done? I've done this, I've done that. I've been part of all these different communities, but like, what's the bigger picture? What, what, what are we supposed to have our focus on? And I've always tried to make light of that particular issue. I kind of wanted to talk on swing states. I know Texas is kind of like that teetering state that's between the two parties. And do you think of this two-party system? Do you think maybe it one day should change to maybe like rank choice voting? Do you think a different type of system would be better for us to be equally represented? Yeah, I mean, a two-party system. I always ask the students, okay, so you have two choices and everything. How would life be? Okay, you want a hamburger? You have Wendy's and Whataburger. That's it. Okay, you want to go grocery shopping? You have HEB and Walmart. That's it. It's not the way it should be, you know? And you don't have to, again, going from a historical perspective, um, George Washington, you know, he, he despised political parties. He says they're factions. They're not going to act in the primary interest of citizens, the ones who are, who are to be governed. They, they gave them a duty and honor to, to govern them. And political parties, at the end of the day, you know, they, what are they most interested in? Fast forward. Uh, how much money does it cost? You, you guys see record amounts of fundraising. I mean, it, it costs over $1 billion, okay? I'm gonna go down, down the list here. $1 billion, over $1 billion for the White House. A U.S. Uh, Senate seat, now northwards of 20 to 50 million. A U.S. Congress seat, two, two years, northward of a million. How does that happen? Again, it's, I'm a world traveler. You go to Europe and all these other countries. I mean, you have green parties that are very serious, they have chances. You have various parties to choose from. But at the end of the day, I mean, this party, the answer, I mean, for me, it's not. I think that you go in there, you run as, as an individual on your record. It's kind of like, you know, I don't see it any different as being a candidate for, for an opportunity for employment. You know, you're running on your resume. Uh, you're going to sit, you're going to have an interview. In this case, we have three interviews for the nation, for the world, and let them choose, let them select. I think that that would be Obviously, I'm dreaming, obviously, you know, but that that's really the way the way our system is, you know, and that's why I say you have to understand the way the system works. Um, first of all, you won't be lost. Second of all, you know, you can actually go and do something about it. I think that's a really, really big thing where we lose a lot of students. Um, and it's all in how you teach them and how you show them that, you know, the system is set up the way it is for a reason. And people always, you know, say that, well, we have a democracy. Well, in actuality, we have a constitutional republic. We, we don't vote on every single issue because... The founding fathers didn't want that. <laughs> yeah. And they didn't want that for a reason. Scared of factions and scared of the mob, right? Yes, sir. That's what I we have today. Those are very well-focused points. The thing is, a, you know, a system is a, is a system. Some parts of the American system, not just democracy, but democratic capitalism, that's our system. In other, in other words, for us to tweak the system or make reforms, such as in the progressive era or the great society, that's a good lick, right? But it, there's nothing written in stone that says that the system that we were born with is a system that we'll die with. And so, you know, the Constitution is a dynamic thing, supposedly, if it's interpreted correctly. Uh, the laws change, people's values change. And so, you know, some people are talking about the Supreme Court, they're talking about the Electoral College, they're talking about all these different tweaks to the system, but there are some members of Congress right now and a lot of people on the street that are starting to talk about real systemic change. And that doesn't mean, you know, just changing the system, it means changing system. And so I'm going to tell you that I think, without being too ridiculous here, that it may be a dream and maybe a nightmare to some, 
but don't think that because we happen to have been doing something for 200 and something years, right. that, 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 is a, that is a poop in the windstorm in the grand scheme of historical things. And quite frankly, there's nothing that says that we can't decide all of a sudden, hey, wait a minute. If all these things are endemic or systemic or structural, then maybe we need a new structure. Maybe we need a new system. So not just another party, although you know, I'd, be, I'd be open to and amenable to the idea of a third party. And I think that's where you began, Joe. They're all parties within the same rubric. They all do things a certain way based on the institutional powers that be and the rules that we have. They are supposed to be dynamic. Because yeah, everything's supposed to be a living document, man. So I'm not saying we need to run out and get the pitchforks. That's the funny phrase I use with my kids. But it happens all the time. We had this kind of this uh, conceit that, well, you know, we've got the checks and balances and the back camera. But okay, yeah, that's good. That makes sense. But if it don't work no more, then we're stupid to keep doing it. And we're seeing it now how it's not working <laughs> with one president. Yes. So if it's not, it, put it this way, if it's user error, then get rid of the user. Okay. That's right. But if it's a system mistake, then there ain't nothing that says that we can't say, hey, instead of just moving it this way, let's try okay. it this way. Let's try what Sweden does. Of course, on the other hand, they have nine people who are all related and are all rich, so it's not a problem. So in other words, be careful what we wish for. And you mentioned you mentioned the Electoral College, so it kind of goes back to your swing state question. Um, if you look back at the Electoral College, I mean, originally, you know, everybody was was selected a certain way, direct elections, but the president, the office of the presidency was, was never that way. Okay. And what was the reason? Again, it, it's our country was set up this way for a reason. You know, they, the founding fathers realized, wait a minute, the most powerful office selected by the people and only the people. Eh. Who knows what we'll get? We may get Andrew Jackson. <laughs> the 1% is, is going to lose control. How does the 1% govern the 99%? Easy. You set up the rules, you make the game, right? That you invent it. And that's, that's what's been going on. Um, and the Electoral College, as scary as it is and, and as, as crazy as it is, all you got to do is look back at our history, okay? If you look at, you know, George Bush score 2000, Gore got more popular votes, but Bush got the White House. Hillary Clinton as well, you know? So I think we can all agree on the, uh, the, the, the jobs or where we stand with both those presidents. Is it a coincidence that they lost the popular vote? They were not voted on by the majority. I mean, that's not a coincidence. I mean, the system, there's something seriously wrong with the system. And like a lot of things have changed, it can change. And by gosh, hopefully we, we do experience some of those changes in our lifetimes. So we're actually rounding out towards the end of our podcast. If you have any final thoughts, maybe so you can give to first time voters so they can get the courage to get out there and vote. Take responsibility and do the right things. And that's not just a moral judgment. That's a civic judgment. So your responsibility is to be part of the game. Don't be a complainer without doing some work. Look, if you're, if you're engaged in life and you do your best and you take a shot and it don't work out, that's cool. That's what it's all about. Nobody wins all the time. But if you don't do something, then your complaints will ring very hollow to them people that dig it out and work. I'll give you this example, the Chicano movement. Everybody came to the Friday night meeting. Hey, let us say this and that. And then on Saturday, three people showed up to make poster. Well, golly, where was everybody that was fired up last night? Everybody wants to talk. And, you know, the people that work will be able to lay their head down on the pillow at night and say they did the best they could. Because you know what? Things won't change. The system will not be altered if people just kind of go on automatic pilot and say, well, I don't really like that. Well, then let's see what we can do about things. And I'm not being partisan. I'm just talking about it in general. I always look at it like this. Do it for the ones who sacrifice for the life that we have today, especially if you're a minority, woman, Black, Hispanic, you know, uh, the gay movement and so forth. Do it. Do it for, for the ones who paved the, the way for, for us, right? And also do it for the ones that are coming after us. We want to always hand them something better, okay? At least, at least where I'm from. Um, and second, 
you always want to hit them in the pockets because that's what gets people's attention. It is no coincidence that places with the highest voter turnout, they are listened to more. They have more things around, more commerce, more things to do, more opportunities. That's not by accident because politicians know who's voting and who's not. And when you vote, whether your candidate wins or not, that's important. But the most important thing is you are voting and they know that people who vote ask questions. And if you ask questions, you expect accountability and you, you want accountability. And that's what politicians need more than anything. Well, I would like to thank our guest, Dr. Gregory. It is really about getting out the vote and really to represent what we believe in. There are many people on the ground. There are many people out there that are doing a lot of different work. So when you look at a party, you're not just looking at the president, you're looking at everyone else who represents us. So I'd like to thank our guests again for joining us to the FYE podcast and have a wonderful day. Thanks. Don't forget, this is the final week of early voting. Early voting ends Friday, October 30th. To see if you are registered to vote or to find a polling location, please go to vote.org. UTRGB's Edinburgh campus is hosting early voting for Hidalgo County, as well as Texas Southmost College near the Brownsville campus. For more information, please follow the links below in the description, and don't forget to vote for this year's 2020 election.